I went to this village for the first time. Uh-huh. I think it was probably the third or fourth time that the local pastor had been there who found the village. Okay. And when we when we showed up, uh, he said, stay in the car. If I can't find this one guy, we're going to have to leave. So how safe is this place? Well, place where we're at is... If you go to the State Department's website, it's going to tell you not to go there. Right. And so it's... uh... This is the Men Refined Podcast. Hey friends, welcome to the Man Refined Podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Sifontes, and I have a good friend of mine, Tony Gooch. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Tony, it's a pleasure. And I want to bring Tony into the mix because he has an amazing story that I would like others to listen. Tony, how about you start with just introducing yourself just a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your family, your wife, and then we'll go into this story, which I am sure that you guys are going to be super encouraged about his side? Uh, Well, my name is Tony Gooch, and uh, I've been married to my wife for 42 years. Uh, We have two children and seven grandchildren, and uh, I've been working basically in the space business since 1989. Um, In 2015, I relocated from Florida to Colorado Springs, and about two years ago, I moved up here to Firestone. That's Firestone, Colorado, for those of you who are not here, local. The ministry that you're part of, if you can just share a little bit of your story, you're part of this ministry that travels to Africa and helps build water wells and also preach the gospel to these tribes in Africa. How does Tony Gooch get connected to this ministry? I believe that God is going to use each one of us differently. And the way that he will use you, it will be totally different than the way he will use anybody else. But I think you are in a very unique place right now in your season, in the season that you're in. All your kids are grown, right? They're married, they have, they have kids. So you're kind of like cruising, right? Mm-hmm. Can you call that cruising? Sure. Yes, you're cruising. Well, you have to go back to around 1988 uh, when I was in the Air Force and uh, was uh, wanting to get out of the Air Force and uh, had an opportunity uh, present itself for me to get out early. And uh, actually thought I had two weeks left in the Air Force. I had been praying about that. And the Lord closed that door. And um, I'll just say through a series of events over the next uh, three to four months, um, the Lord made it very apparent to me that uh, He wanted me to put my yes on the altar. And then He would show me what He wanted me to do with my life. And uh, I, I was in a crisis because... There were a couple of things I wasn't willing to do for the Lord. Uh, one of those was to be a missionary. Mm. And um, so I basically arm wrestled with the Lord for several months, and I was a miserable person. Uh, but I finally uh, surrendered uh, to the Lord uh, my life. And um, the day that I did that, um, I got up from the altar uh, with a huge burden lifted off of me, but also a fear that the Lord was going to call me into missions, and that's not something that I had a desire to do at that time. And so that's really where it started for me. Um, A few months later, um, I did end up getting out of the Air Force, and um, I moved to Florida and began to work at uh, Cape, Cape Canaveral Air Force Station in the space program. But I knew in my heart that uh, I believed that the Lord had something more for me and that it was going to involve missions. And it was still not something that I wanted to do, but what had changed is that I now had a willingness to do that. How did that happen? That willingness to to accept whatever God will throw at you and whatever his decision was. Well, it goes back to when I was arm wrestling with the Lord and I knew I had been a Christian uh, for a long time. I was raised in a Christian home. I accepted the Lord as my savior when I was seven years old. And so I grew up uh, knowing the Lord and I grew up knowing that uh, I wanted to be and I needed to be in the center of his will. Mm. And so uh, when 
I began to realize that uh, there there may be things that he wanted me to do that I didn't have a desire to do. I began to resist that. But, uh, you know, the Lord has a funny way of getting us to where he wants us. And uh, so he brought me to the point where he broke me. And uh, and I surrendered, and I said yes. I, I said yes to whatever he had for me, not knowing what that was. And so that's what changed. Uh, the willingness to do what he called me to do became very real in my life that day. Even though I might have not had the desire to do it, I was willing to do it because I knew that his will was best. And I think that's part of the love that we as 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 believers of people in the faith um, that's that's a result of of your love which is the obedience that comes after that because if we bring that back into our uh, you know our families you have your kids and your kids are going to obey you because they love you obedience comes after the love that you may have for a certain person so through that love obedience will will show very distinctive uh, in a different way. So you're being obedient even though you're not 100% sold out to the idea of doing a certain thing, but through the love that you have, then you're being obedient and you're obeying God's will. Then what happened? So uh, I ended up getting out of the Air Force and I got this uh, great job at the Space Center. It was like a dream job for me. Um, but I still had in the back of my mind, you know, this can't be it. You know, I wrestled with the Lord for a long time over over putting my yes on the altar. And now I had this great dream job. Everything was going well. Uh, but I was still expecting God to do something. And so one Sunday, I uh, went to church and um, we had a special speaker there uh, that morning from India. That was in, back in Florida. That was in, uh, in Florida, yes, mm -hmm. uh, in 1989. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Uh, this uh, guy got up and started speaking, uh, and about halfway through um, his sermon, um, it's like the Lord told me, uh, I want you to go to India. Hmm. And uh, I didn't really know anything other than uh, he told me that's what he wanted me to do. And I basically wept uh, through the rest of that service. Um, there was no resistance in me. I had been waiting on the Lord to tell me, and he told me that day. And uh, after the service uh, concluded, um, the pastor got up and said that uh, this gentleman ran a big mission organization in uh, India, and he would come to the U.S. once a year to recruit teams to come and preach the gospel in India, and that he had agreed to take a team over there. And he needed seven men to go with him. And so... Um, Were I, you one of those seven I, men? I knew immediately that I was one of those seven. And so uh, I got a meeting with the pastor the next week and uh, kind of told him my story. And uh, said, I said, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm one of the seven. And, uh, you know, what are we going to be doing anyway? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he told me, he said, well, three of us are going to be preaching uh, the gospel at Crusades. And then three or four are going to be taking care of logistics, taking pictures, things like that. And uh, I looked at him and I said, I guess I'll be taking pictures <laughs> because I'm no preacher. And uh, he looked at me and he said, well, we'll see. Mm. And so um, I just, I was numb, um, you know, after that Sunday. And for two weeks, I was just like, could not believe this was happening. Um and uh, really didn't, you know, still didn't have a desire uh, to do it. But I said yes a year before that to the Lord, and this was it. And um, so, uh, but about two weeks after uh, that, that happened that I met with the pastor, I woke up one morning, and everything had changed. I woke up with a burning desire. To go to India. To preach the gospel in India. And so uh, that was the event uh, where my desires changed. Um, the Lord took what was a willingness and he turned it into a desire Amen. Uh, to do his work. Amen. And uh, that changed my life. Um, but I will tell you, uh, 
that trip to India never happened. Hmm. Uh, that's a whole other story. Um, but it uh, became a very devastating event in my life. Hmm. Uh, but uh, the thing that did come out of that uh, whole situation in my life was a change in my desire uh, to uh, get involved in mission work. And so that's where it began for me. Which is interesting the way you put it and the way you tell the story. Because even though God has changed your heart and through that your desire now on the way you're going to tackle one, the situation, and two, actually, the trip and the place that you're going to, for him to shut down everything, you may not need to go into details about what happened, why that trip was shut down, but, I mean, how do you come to grips? Because your heart is has changed already at this point. I can only assume that you're just sold out right now, excited and afraid at the same time because you're doing God's will. Tell us a little bit about that heartbreak, to call it like that, because that, that, that must have been challenging for you. Uh, yeah, it was uh, very challenging. Uh, in fact, it, it took me two or three years uh, mm. to get over that. And um, I just I felt like uh, God's purpose in my life had been compromised, and there mm. was... Uh, uh, nothing I could do about it, um, and it's just something that happened. Uh, was out of my control, uh, and so it took me several years to get over it. Uh, but eventually, um, I just uh, I got past it, and I started looking for my next opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, to serve the Lord in that manner. And uh, the next opportunity that I had was to go down to South Florida and put a um, a roof on a church that uh, had gotten damaged by a hurricane that of came course. through. Yep. And uh, uh, so when that uh, opportunity presented itself, you know, I told the Lord, I said, you know, uh, Lord, this is not what I want to do, but it's the only opportunity you've given me. Yeah. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. And so uh, I went down and I did that uh, with our church, you know, and uh, I, I felt like I was obedient to the Lord. And so, but uh, I did eventually get get over that, and I just began to, um, you know, wait on the Lord, basically. That's what I was doing. How do you process this as a man, right, um, with your family, with your wife? What's that journey looks like? You know, there's uh, always going to be disappointments in life, but and I've, I've had a, my fair share of disappointments, but well, what they have taught me is that Regardless of your circumstance, you can trust the Lord uh, with what's going on. Um, he is in, in control of your life if you give it to Him, and you can trust Him with it. And uh, it may not look like what you want. It may not look like what you expect. Uh, but I can uh, look back, you know, on my life and thank God for all the disappointments uh, because they have moved me from where I was at the time to where he wanted me to be and what he had for me. So uh, that's kind of how I processed it. Amen. So you're in Colorado now. Yes. You were able to travel to Africa. Tell us a little bit about that story. All right. Well, um, if you fast forward uh, through a number of years, um, we ended up at a, a church in Florida. It was the second church that we had attended there. We'd been living uh, in Titusville, Florida, for about uh, 15 years, and uh, we started attending a new church. And um, I would say uh, prior to that, I had gotten involved in a, uh, the Lord had given me an opportunity to uh, go to a one-year Minister of Missions training program up in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And I got exposed and I got some training uh, on how to be a, a Minister of Missions in a church. And um, uh, we ended up uh, at this new church uh, several years after that, um, uh, really in a really broken um, way uh, because of some things that had happened. Um, And I was really, uh, again, I'd found myself in a a very uh, uh, dark place with the Lord, Um, was angry at the Lord about some things that had happened, Um, and uh, really was just you know, trying to survive. Um, but fast forward about three or four years at that church, and um, they asked me to become the director of missions um, at this church. 
And uh, by then I had healed up from some things that had happened. And I was uh, uh, ready and willing to serve the Lord. And uh, he basically uh, gave me uh, my dream opportunity uh, to serve at this church as the director of missions. Um, I was still um, working in the space program full-time, so this was kind of a side gig for me. But it was basically a second full-time job. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, when I became the director of missions, um, one of the programs that the church had was uh, we had a retreat center at the church. And so once a year, um, all a lot of uh, pastors from Kenya that were in the U.S. going to seminary would come to our church for a retreat. And as a result of that, um, our pastor kind of got a heart for Kenya and uh, had started a program um, partnering with a university in Orlando, Florida Christian University, mm-hmm. uh, to offer uh, degrees to pastors in Kenya mm. so that they didn't have to come to the U.S. because what was happening is uh, it was very hard on the Kenyans to come here, yeah. uh, very hard on their families, very yeah. expensive. Yeah. And what we were seeing was once they got here, they never wanted to go back to Kenya. Oh. And so uh, uh, my pastor, along with another gentleman from Kenya, started this program two or three years before I showed up, and uh, they were doing that. And um, he was a senior pastor of a large church, and he was trying to manage this uh, program that he started. And uh, in fact, he was uh, really thinking about shutting it down. And so he asked me to go to Kenya with him uh, in 2007 um, to assess that program uh, with the potential of just shutting it down. And so uh, I went to Kenya with him and uh, I stayed a couple of days longer than him because he had some other things he needed to do. And a long story short, I just really felt like the program was worthy. I had met about 40 pastors that were in the program and they just captured my heart. And uh, one in particular, um, I preached at his church while I was there. And um, that was the first time I'd met him, and uh, all he wanted to talk about, <laughs> this guy was kind of overseeing five churches, but he wanted to go be a missionary to a tribe called the Dorobo. Mm. Um, they're one of the lowest tribes in Kenya, and um, during my uh, morning with him that Sunday morning, um, I felt like the Lord told me to get him a motorcycle so he could start doing this ministry that he had a desire to do. And so uh, the Lord really connected me and him. His name is Joseph. And uh, the Lord did provide a a motorcycle for him. Um, And um, so basically, you know, I went back uh, when I got back to the U.S. um, I talked to uh, the pastor, asked me to come and see him. And um, when I walked in his office, he said, uh, I'd like you to take over the Kenya ministry. And uh, the first words out of my mouth were, I'll do it. Can we double the budget? And he said, yes. And so that's, that's basically how I got involved in Kenya. Mm. Mm. You're still involved. And I'm still involved, yes. So what are you doing right now in Kenya? Well, um, each time you go. Yeah, so that has... You have a trip coming up yeah, soon. Yeah, I, I do. I'm uh, taking a medical team uh, to Kenya on September 20th. And uh, our plan is to um, do six days of medical clinics. We expect to treat between 2,500 and 3,000 people. Uh, we'll do that in four locations. And um, we are working uh, on the northeast coast of Kenya currently. It's where I believe the Lord's going to have us for the uh, coming decade. And uh, we are uh, targeting Muslim people groups northeast coast of kenya so that's what we're doing currently how many times have you been there uh to be honest with you i've i've kind of lost count but i'm gonna say uh probably 20 or more times so uh, how many times how many times a year you usually go uh at least once uh yeah i go once every year i missed the two years during covid Mm. um but uh i've i've gone at least once a year since 2007 2008 and many times, two or three times uh, a year is the most I've ever done. Um, but uh, yeah, but now it's basically uh, two times, one time a year, something like that, depending on what's going on. Mm-hmm. So are you still overseeing that program? 
Yeah, so uh, what happened is uh, I served as the director of missions at this church for eight years. And uh, in 2015, um, my wife and I uh, were both living our dream, serving at this church. Um, Had a good job, but this is really my passion. And I just, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for anything more. And uh, in 2015, uh, my wife and I both kind of felt like the Lord was telling us to just walk away uh, from everything we were doing. Hmm. And uh, so we uh, we were obedient uh, to Him telling us to do that, and we ended up taking a job out here in Colorado Springs. And uh, I continued to run uh, the entire missions program for that church for about uh, five or six months while they sought a replacement. And uh, when they... Uh, found the replacement. He came out to Colorado Springs and sat down with me for a weekend, and we kind of did a little turnover. And at the end of that, uh, he asked me if I would be willing to continue to lead the the Kenya part of the missions program, and that was just one you know small part of their program. Mm-hmm. And so that has afforded me the opportunity to continue to work in Kenya. Um, that's really uh, where my heart was, uh, even though we were doing many other things. Uh, my heart was in Kenya, and I think they recognized that and and wanted me to continue doing that. So I've uh, continued to basically handle the Kenya missions for that church in Florida, and then we've kind of expanded it to Colorado. We've got people from Colorado that have joined us there, and a church in Colorado also that works with us. So, so each time that you take this trip, tell us a little bit about how logistics work for a trip like this because i'm pretty sure it's 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 challenging just to run logistics for a trip of this magnitude you're not only taking a crew of medical over there sometimes you help creating wells and installing wells water wells um, for some of these areas so that's a huge logistic nightmare sometimes i assume uh, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> so um, I will uh, say that uh, we did uh, put in a couple of wells in the last uh, six months, uh, six to eight months in Kenya. And uh, I got connected with an organization uh, probably around um, 2014 or 15 called Hydrating Humanity. And um, they uh, were an organization that was already working in Kenya, but they were working uh, in a completely different part of Kenya than us. Uh, but our church had uh, had a desire to do water projects uh, somewhere in the world. And uh, we came across this organization called Hydrating Humanity, and uh, we started doing water projects with them. And we actually have become strategic partners. Um, we've done a lot of work with them doing water wells, but we've also invited them into the work that we were doing at the time and the work that we're doing now. And uh, we've kind of worked together with uh, both their founder and their international director uh, to become strategic partners. And um, so uh, I had a desire uh, back in April of last year, um, I went to Kenya uh, for the purpose, really it was a vision trip to identify uh, the next place that we thought the Lord wanted us to work. Uh, we had just come off of about 10 years working with the Dorobo tribe, and uh, we had a lot of successes we felt like there, and that uh, we had actually completed the the vision that the Lord had uh, for us, and so we were looking for our next place. And um, Within Kenya? Within Kenya, yes. Okay. Um, and I'm still working with Joseph, the pastor I met the first time I went to Kenya. He and okay. I have worked together all these years. He is a... Um, He's a pioneer um, pastor that loves to uh, find unreached people and uh, Mm. bring the gospel to them. And Mm. so he and I worked together. And uh, so April a year ago, we uh, uh, went over there and kind of surveyed uh, several locations. Uh, One of those locations was uh, a Muslim village of about 1,000 people. It's a very primitive village. Um, It's the Orma people group. When you say primitive, can you explain and elaborate what that means for those who try, are trying to understand and place themselves into those places? Sure. Um, 
By primitive, I just mean that they live in mud huts with grass roofs. Um, they, you know, their children don't really go to school. In many cases, um, uh, the Orma are um, ranchers, I'll say. They're a nomadic tribe historically, and they uh, keep uh, livestock, and they just kind of roam around. Move them around. Mm -hmm. But uh, due to, you know, just the situation in Kenya, the government has kind of uh, forced them into this particular area. And um, is there uh, water close by where this tribe is located? Uh, the water source that they were using uh, when I first went to that village about a year ago uh, was the nastiest um, water you could imagine. Uh, there were cows in the water, you know, doing what cows do. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very muddy, um, uh, grotesque. Uh, uh, pond i guess would be a good way to describe it and mm. so that was their water source mm. uh, when we first went there wow and so um uh, we uh we went there that day and uh really feel like the lord showed up and um, basically kind of revealed to us that that was uh, the place that he wanted us to invest uh, in the uh, coming years and so we did decide to uh, put a water well there Is that working already? Uh, it is. Okay. Um, so, uh, what about the maintenance? Because when you when you do some research about where to put your money in, there's there's there, the stat says that 60% of water wells in Africa fail due to maintenance. Yes, that is a true statement. Uh, that statistic is probably accurate. I've heard uh, a higher statistic than that, but I haven't wow. looked, looked it up myself recently. So, mm -hmm. um, but that sounds correct. Um, well, uh, I'm just going to toot Hydrating Humanity's horn again. This is one of the things I like about Hydrating Humanity. And, and one of the reasons that I work with them is because they, every, now you have to realize they work in a completely different part of Kenya uh, than where I'm at. And where I'm at is a very difficult place. It's a, a very unsecure place. Um, there's terrorism activity there mm -hmm. uh, routinely. Um, they don't have a drill rig over there. And the drill rig that they have is not suited for that area. But uh, they agreed to help me with this water project. And one of the things that Hydrating Humanity does in their area of operation is every well they put in, they guarantee for life. Wow. They have one, uh, one gentleman on staff that all he does is go around and repair wells. Wow. And, Locally, uh, on the region? In the region where they're at. Wow. And um, so they've put in over a thousand wells uh, okay. in the last 10 years in that area. Um, their vision uh, was to put a well in every school. Mm -hmm. uh, many times kids can't go to school because they have to go get water. Right, right. And so they figured out if we put the well at the school, Correct. they can go to school Absolutely. and come home with water. Yeah. And so uh, they're, um, they're getting close to finishing uh, their vision there. They're within 100 wells of having every school completed. And again, they have a guy, full-time staff, all he does is repair wells. So if one of their wells goes down, they send somebody else to fi fix it. So which region do you guys actually go into? North, south, east, west? Uh, we are currently working on the northeast coast of Kenya. Okay. Um, it's uh, predominantly uh, an Islamic area. Mm -hmm. um, we started there on a, on a little island called Lamu Island. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably about between 50 and 75 miles south of Somalia. I see. And then we go uh, inland from there uh, where we put this well. So is, you're in the coast. Uh, we're on the coast, yes. You're not, you're not northeast, Well, we're on the northeast corner of Kenya, but uh, oh, but on the coast on the side. coast. Yes. Got it. Got you. Okay. Okay. So, even though there's there the water is how close? Uh, I mean the sea. Uh, oh well, uh, it's it's from, I mean from where you are. We're well, Lamu Island is actually in the ocean, so we're um, you know we stay on Lamu Island when we go there. Okay. But we get in boats. You know we do two clinics like this trip in September. Uh -huh. We'll actually do two clinics on the island, and we'll do two clinics on the mainland. 
So half of the team will get in a boat every day, go over to the mainland and get mm. in a vehicle and drive um, to the location where we're doing the clinics. And I that's see. where this Orma village is on the mainland. I see. So it's a lot of... So once you guys travel there, it's not like you get you, you, you get to your destination where you guys stay. And you still have some sort of a travel day to get to that, to where the tribes are located. Yes, it's uh, so it takes uh, it takes about 24 hours to get from the U.S. to Nairobi, and uh, so we'll spend the night in Nairobi on day two, mm -hmm. um, and then we'll take a, a flight to Lamu Island. Got it. And um, and then uh, once we get to Lamu Island, that's where we'll be. You know, we have a hotel there. Yeah. And then each morning, uh, the one of the clinics is a five minute walk uh, from the hotel. Okay. And we we. Uh, go by three mosques on that walk wow. uh, to the church that we're doing the clinic in. Wow. Uh, this church that has been burned down uh, by the Muslims uh, years ago. And that's why we're there, uh, because we thought, man, if we could go there and do a clinic and invite the Muslims to that church to get free health care, perhaps it would change. They won't burn it. And uh, you are right. They and, won't burn it because it, they, they're getting out of something out of it. Yeah. And so it has really changed the atmosphere. We went there first in 2017 with the medical team, and uh, it has made a huge difference uh, in that community uh, with how the Muslims view that church. And so that's uh, one of the exciting things that we've seen happen. Um, so, yeah. Has your, have your wife ever been there with you? Uh, yes. My wife has been to Kenya with me um, Many times, okay. um, I couldn't tell you how many. I'd have okay. to sit down and think about it. But she goes, okay. she goes. She's been going on the medical trips with me for five or six years now, and she went with me before that with some other things we were doing. So this is definitely something that both of you are sold out to. It's not just your heart, right? But it's also her heart. Yes, accompany you to that location and just taking Jesus into these regions. Um, where do you see yourself in a few years? Is there a vision? Is there a goal? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, our, our strategic vision is to win Muslims to Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, like I said, in 2017, um, we had uh, our, our initial vision was just to try to um, change how the Muslims viewed Christians. And so uh, we accomplished that, um, and we're seeing some fruits from that. Uh, but um, uh, long-term strategic, uh, we're basically trying to repeat what we did with the Dorobo, uh, which is, um, you know, plant churches. Uh, now the Dorobo were not an Islamic people group, so mm -hmm. this is going to look quite a bit different. Right. But we're using some of the same strategies, and that was water and medical. And is that working? Uh, well, I don't know. It's too early to tell, okay. but I'm going to say it is working. When uh, did that start it? So um, April of last year, okay. uh, I went to this village for the first time. Uh -huh. uh, I think it was probably the third or fourth time that the local pastor had been there who uh -huh. found the village. Okay. And when we, when we showed up, uh, he said, stay in the car. If I can't find this one guy, we're going to have to leave. So how safe is this place? Well, uh, the, the, the place where we're at is if you go to the State Department's website, it's going to tell you not to go there. Right. And so it's uh, I, I refer to it But as, you've been there, right? Yeah. One thing is like, you know, that's a political movement. But going into these places, especially when you travel abroad, it's a different story. Yes. You've been there multiple times. Uh, how safe is this place? Um, that's a hard question to answer. Mm. Um, I, I went there for the first time in 2010, and um, I wouldn't take a team up there until 2017 because of security concerns. Oh. And there's been many times um, in the previous years where I've actually traveled with armed security when I go there. I was uh, just going to ask you that. Is there some sort of security that you guys travel with? Uh, I'm not doing that currently. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, Al I refer to this place as Al-Shabaab's backyard. Okay. Uh, they're, um, they operate in the area. And, um, you know, it's many times, you know. There's a risk. Yeah, there's, there's there, a risk. There is right? a risk. Yes. For those of you who don't know who Al-Shabaab is. 
It's a terrorist organization that is doing crazy stuff all over the place, especially in Africa. Yeah, they're uh, out of Somalia. Yeah. And so this area is close to Somalia. So um, they're basically at war with um, with Kenya, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way to define it. Yeah. So at this point, no arm crew is traveling with you. So will you say it's safe? Um, I think it's safe. It's, okay. it's, it's, you know, it's something as, as a team leader, you know, it weighs heavily on you Absolutely. every time you start trying to recruit people to go. Yeah. Cause and, uh, I mean, if you, if you need to recruit people, right. Especially medical teams, how many of these of the medical teams are in the faith? All uh, of them? Well, I would say prior, probably not. Prior to this year, uh-huh. I'm going to say it was 99%, probably 100%. Okay. I might have taken one okay. person or two okay. in all the previous times. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, I think I probably have several people that don't know the Lord. Okay. Um, and I That's will, exciting. I will say That's exciting. that we also, um, I have about 12 Kenyan doctors that uh, will be working with me on this trip. Local Kenyan doctors or uh, people that Kenyans are coming from the States? They're all Kenyan residents that live in Kenya. Okay. Um, Some of them are local to that area and they happen to be Muslims. And um, so we're we're after Muslims, so I don't mind having a Muslim doctor on the team. Yeah. And in fact, uh, last year, you know, uh, one of our Muslim doctors got to really experience um, the Lord uh, working mm. uh, in one of the patient's lives. Mm. Uh, and so we are exposing uh, those doctors to the, the light of Jesus Christ. So that's exciting. What is the most rewarding thing that you have seen through the years in from all of these trips that you have taken to? What is, what, what is that thing that keeps you coming back? Well, I'm not going to lie. There have been a lot of challenges over the years. There's been a lot of, you know, there's been uh, betrayal and uh, all kinds of things uh, that have happened to to us in Kenya. But uh, we believe that the Lord has called us there and uh, we just keep going. And uh, there's been a lot of good things that have happened as well. Um, And so we believe that uh, many people uh, have come to the Lord. we know that uh, the Lord has brought reconciliation uh, to tribes that we have worked with. Um, There's several stories that I could go into there, but uh, time won't allow. Um, and even just the uh, situation with this church, uh, um, you know, I, I learned of this in 2010, 2011. And um, I actually took a, a medical team to China in 2011, working with a Muslim uh, community. And the whole time I was there, I was seeing the impact, and all I could think about was Lamu Island. Hmm. And I even told the team uh, there in China, I said, we got to go to Lamu Island because there's a need there. And uh, uh, several of the people that were in China with me have been to Kenya with me many, many times. And so I would say the most rewarding thing is that uh, in in this particular area is uh, after we did that first clinic um, at the church, um, it really changed uh, the hearts of the Muslims toward the Christians. They quit harassing the church, which they were doing constantly, and now they look very favorably on the church. And uh, there's... uh, a lot of really cool things happening uh, with the Muslims uh, on that island uh, that uh, have opened their hearts uh, to that church. And uh, I'm not going to say uh, that I'm, I can't definitively say that some of them have converted, uh, but I believe uh, that is very near if it hasn't already happened and that we are seeing some movement of the Lord among these people. And um you know we're 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 kind of uh, we're kind of shifting our focus from from that particular church to this Orma village, and I mean that you asked earlier what's the kind of the long term the end game, um, you know I want to see this uh, Orma village come to Christ. I mean that's really why we're going, mm-hmm. and uh, we're just trusting the Lord with that, and uh, we've already um, seen uh, some good things happen that are have 
kind of confirmed that that's where we're supposed to be. So that's uh, that's what's rewarding is kind of knowing that you're you're where you're supposed to be. How's the relationship with the elders of the tribe? Because I know that that's that's a big deal in those regions um, to have that trust in a way, right? Right, and to have that connection. Yeah, I think trust is the right way is the right word because if if they don't trust you at a level, they wouldn't even let you be there, even though they know that you're doing something good for them. Well, uh, that first time there in April, uh, we met with one of the elders of the village. And um, uh, as we were about to leave, there was a Muslim woman standing there nearby. Uh, she was inside a, a hut. And as we were about to leave, she walks out of the hut and she actually hobbles out of the hut. And so I could tell immediately there was something uh, seriously wrong with her leg. And so um, I just I just asked, hey, can I pray for this young lady? And um, it, I didn't know it at the time before I asked, but it turned out to be that elder's daughter. Oh. And so um, they said I could pray for her. Hmm. And uh, that was pretty significant to yeah. me because we've had Muslim patients at our clinics that were terminally ill that were like, you're going to be dead in six weeks. Right. And they would not let us pray for them. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when I got to that village that morning, it was like, stay in the car. If I can't find this guy, we got to leave. Uh -huh. You know, fast forward an hour later, we're getting ready to leave. I see, I see this lady and I ask if I can pray for her. They say I can. And so I just tell him, I said, you know, I followed Jesus and uh, Jesus healed people many times when he was on the earth. And we still believe that he heals people today. And I'd just like to pray for your daughter that the Lord will heal her. You know, I don't know uh, what will happen, but I want to pray for her. And they said I could. So that uh, that was a big sign to me. Uh, one of the things that kind of confirmed, you know, that we were supposed to be there. And so I prayed for her, and, uh, and we left. And, um, you know, didn't really know what happened. Um, but uh, that was in uh, April of 2022. Um, I decided after that uh, situation to shift uh, where we took the medical team uh, in 2022. So back in October of last year, I took the medical team to that village. Mm -hmm. And um, while I was there, this lady uh, sought me out in the middle of some chaos this is the lady that the, you prayed the lady i had prayed for, for. okay a uh, big smile on her face mm. was very happy to see me mm. um she was not walking with a limp whatsoever mm. uh you know i you know i don't know what was wrong with her don't know what the lord did but i believe the lord healed her in his way and um she was happy to see me mm. and wanted me to meet her child and so uh, we did that and so about uh, that was in October of 22. Uh, in uh, November of that year, uh, we actually got a driller up there and uh, drilled a hole in the ground for the well. And we got that pump installed in January of this year. And I went back um, in uh, February of this year and went to that village. And I was with uh, my friends from Hydrating Humanity. Uh, their founder and their international director both were with me on that trip to see that well. And uh, when we got there, middle of the day, there were still 80 buckets lined up to mm. get water. Wow. And so they're using the well uh, extensively. And um, I'll just say that uh, the gospel was very clearly preached that day in this village. Amen. Um, the imam uh, was not happy about it. Uh, <laughs> of course he's not. But uh, after uh, after all that was done, uh, they brought a goat out and presented us with a goat as oh, a gift. Okay, that's a good and, gesture. And the elders said that we were welcome to come to that village anytime we wanted to. Yeah. So that's we, we believe that the, the Lord has uh, opened the door for us there. Yeah. And um, we're just trying to uh, follow his lead and... Um, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you straight up, Tony Gooch does not know how to win Muslims to the Lord, mm. but we're just trying to uh, uh, be God's hands and feet, yeah. uh, demonstrate His love to them. I believe um, very strongly that the Lord uh, told me a, a few years back that He was going to win the people in this area by demonstration of His love. Mm. And so uh, we prepare the team 
right. when we go mm-hmm. uh, to demonstrate the love of Christ to these people. And it is amazing uh, the encounters that occur in five minutes that uh, impact uh, these people in ways that is very evident in, in several cases. Um, um, it's very evident that the Lord is moving uh, in, the, in their hearts. So we, uh, we would just invite everybody to pray uh, with us that uh, this particular village that Jesus reveals himself uh, through the Holy Spirit and that they have an opportunity to know him. So that's, that's what we want. So if you're looking for somebody to connect with, do we have to have anything lined up? Do we need to know anything to even be part of this ministry? What, what kind of person are you looking for? Um, if there's a need there, I believe that God always positions himself in a unique way. And sometimes we push ourselves and we even say, well, I'm not ready or I'm not in the capacity to do certain things or I don't know that well enough to be efficient for God. And I believe totally the contrary. I think that God is only looking for people that are available for him to use them. That's just my take. It could be wrong. Is God looking for people that are just available for him to do his will? What does it take to go into a place like this in, with, a, with a ministry like this? What is the person that you need? Well, because um, I, I, I know the need, the need is great, right? Medical teams are always good. Right? Yep. That's a good batch to have. But what if you don't have any medical training? Well, and you want to um, do something about it. Something. Yeah, you can, or test the waters, right? Yeah. You can still uh, participate. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm taking 18 people on this trip. It's the largest team I've ever taken, and that presents some logistical yeah. challenges. They're all medical? Uh, nope. No. Uh, I would say over half of them are not medical. And, so, what uh, are they doing? Uh, well, we, we can uh, staff, uh, we're, we're running two clinics simultaneously, so mm-hmm. we're going to break into two teams. Mm-hmm. So we'll have nine people from the U.S. on each team, and we'll have six Kenyan doctors on each team, and we do have some you know, medical people from the U.S. as well. Yeah. But uh, we set up a pharmacy, um, okay. and we run the pharmacy. So, yeah. I can so you use, need bodies, though. I can use two people Definitely. with no medical experience to do that. Yeah. If you can read and understand, right. you know, you can, you can help us with that. Um, we also always need somebody for crowd control. I mm. usually like to have a man for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to have a man for that. Um, and then, uh, we, we do what we call triage. And, um, if you can learn how to take blood pressure or we take many people that know how to take someone's blood pressure, but they're really not a medically trained yeah. person. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's one of the most important positions uh, yeah. that we staff, right? We'll have uh, three people that every single patient that comes to that clinic is going to sit with one of those three people. Mm. And they're going to get their blood pressure taken, their name written down, mm-hmm. what their main complaint is. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have five to seven minutes with every single patient mm-hmm. to clearly demonstrate the love of Christ yeah. with them. And I'm telling you, we, we get reports, um, you know, where they're going out into the community and come and telling people how they were treated with such love and then droves of people are coming. So, um, you know, I'm taking um, a 17-year-old and a 16-year-old on this trip. Wow. T- taking a couple of 22-year-old okay. uh, college students, recent college grads on this trip. And um, uh, so we're, we're pretty excited, and we've seen uh, the Lord change people's lives yeah, for sure. a- after going on a trip like for this. Sure. So I would say if you, if you have a desire uh, to do this, um, you know, well, and there's an opportunity to do it, I would ask, why wouldn't you do it? For sure. And uh, I've just seen the Lord provide uh, people with opportunities, and if they say yes, then he provides a way. And so um, there are many, many opportunities in this world to uh, serve others through missions. Um, we're just one little bitty piece Absolutely. of that. Oh, yeah. And so I would encourage people 
um, if you've never done it, uh, I, be, I believe everybody ought to do it once. Our my pastor in Florida used to say, you know, everybody ought to you know hit the four areas that you read about in Acts. You know, uh, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost and the parts of the, the world. Earth, Absolutely, you know, yeah. and so you ought to try to hit all oh, yeah. four of those locations yeah. right uh, in your lifetime. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the, you know, this is the uttermost part of the earth opportunity right here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I will even say uh, Christians, right. People in the faith, sometimes they, they also look for those places. Okay. I want to go far. I want to go to, I don't know, Latin America. I want to go to Africa. I want to go to China, but they don't do anything local. They don't, they don't even care about the backyard. And I think, I think we need to start somewhere and people sometimes they get hanged by the fact that they don't have the means or they can't find an opportunity to travel overseas to do to share the love of God right and they're just hanging themselves in it there's so much that we as people in the faith can do in our own backyard we need to start somewhere and I think we That's need right. to be available and give ourselves to the Lord fully and everybody has a mission to do on earth you know until we get called by our maker so everybody needs to find what is it that god wants to do with you and through that he'll he'll he will open the doors and he will close the doors that need to be closed but i think i believe that we need to be available for god to use us in a mighty way yes i agree thank you tony um if anybody would like to get in contact with you if you're listening to this episode and and this story actually notched your heart, you want to know more about this ministry in Kenya. Tony, can they get in contact with you? Is there any any place that they can learn more and understand what you're doing? Yeah, the best thing to do would either uh, send me a text or shoot me an email, and uh, we can start a communication that way. And uh, we can put your email in the show notes. Sure. Okay. We don't want to put your phone number because that could be crazy. Okay. <laughs> but we'll put your email on the show notes and you should be able to connect with Tony. Tony, thank you again. We appreciate you. Uh, we're encouraged to know what God is doing through you and how he's using you. And just the fact that you're available and you have the means in this season in your life to devote time from your life and do this with your family. I think it's a beautiful thing that we all need to learn from. So I appreciate you, sir. Thank you for being here. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if this content is helpful to you, would you consider rating this episode and subscribe to the podcast? It will mean the world to me. For more information, you can follow me on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash Rafael Cifontes. Until next time, God bless you.